Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I'm Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, we don't like to jump ahead too much when we talk about the NFL, but I think an interesting thing statistically in NFL history, certainly in recent years, is the playoff field and how, on average, I believe it's over the last decade or so, five teams of the 12 in the playoffs do not get back to the playoffs the following year. So if you look strictly at the NFC, that means two to three teams from last year's playoff field supposedly will not be back. Now, Green Bay, Minnesota, Seattle, Arizona, Carolina, and Washington were the six NFC teams last year. So just for grins and giggles, who do you think are the most vulnerable teams in the NFC to perhaps not repeat their playoff appearance. Yeah, it's a grin, it's a grins and giggles time of the season right now sure. for us as we get ready for the regular season. These are the things that everybody always likes to talk about. I'm sure it's somewhat a cop-out, uh, but I think it probably starts with Washington just because they kind of were the Cinderella at the ball last year. Yeah, Things fell their way in the division. I think a lot of people were expecting the Cowboys to make a run not only – you know, at the NFC title, you know, the NFC title, but actually get to the Super Bowl with the way how things had ended the year before and Tony Romo and what they had built up. Romo goes down in Washington, uh, a team that was in a lot of turmoil going into last season is the one that ended up stepping up. And I think that's a credit to, to what they were able to accomplish and, and how they were about to able to go about their season and, and underneath Kirk Cousins. But at the end of the day, I think that also leaves them probably the most vulnerable right now because, there were a lot of things that had to slant in their direction to, to get there in the first place. Yeah, that NFC East, I think it's fair to say, is maybe the most wide open of the divisions in the NFC. And Dallas, you mentioned, they were in the playoffs in 2014, the number right. three seed, actually, and then they did not get back, mostly uh, due to that injury to Tony Romo. The Detroit Lions, another team from 2014 that was in the playoffs, did not get back in 2015. The question I have, I think, and I agree with you about Washington and, and the NFC East, but does Carolina end up suffering that Super Bowl hangover? There's sort of, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but there's sure. sort of that trend of the team that loses in the Super Bowl. There are several years over the last decade or so that the team that loses in the Super Bowl does not get back to the playoffs the next year, sort of this hangover type of thing. Do you think that that might happen to the Panthers? It's a good question. I think the way that, that division is structured, unless we see some some really quick rebuilding in the NFC South, that they still are the, the favorite by leaps and bounds at this time. And it's also an interesting aspect when you look at everything that they had lost last year, the, the injuries that they had at receiver. Um, you know, Thomas Davis playing with basically a broken forearm in the, <laughs> yeah. in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, and, and they still made it as far as they did. And I think with Cam Newton and what he brings to the table, uh, you're talking about uh, – a generational quarterback. So I, I guess for me, the division I'm probably more concentrated on right now is out West because okay. last year when we did our preseason predictions, um, I picked the Rams to make the playoffs and I felt pretty good about that pick. I thought the defense, even if they didn't have all the offensive pieces to get there, the defense was going to carry them this season. Now with Todd Gurley on offense and what they still have defensively and in that, those trenches, I think that's going to be a really fun race to track when you have uh, Seattle 
then obviously Arizona having the success that they've had recently. I think that's going to be a fun one to be a part of. And I still am looking for Los Angeles to make that jump, depending on how Case Keenum and or depending on how they handle that with Jared Goff, how that all shakes out. But getting back to your original question as it relates to Carolina, I think there is something to be said for that as far as having that letdown. But um, someone else is going to have to come up and challenge him in that division if it's going to happen. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that Carolina will have to overcome is the departure of Josh Norman, the, right. the star cornerback. He was a big part of that defense. But you mentioned offensively, the receiving core should be much improved for Cam Newton. And Cam Newton won an NFL MVP with a receiving core that nobody was talking about. So yeah. uh, there's there's a lot to be said there. And Josh Norman going to Washington and providing potentially a big boost to Washington's bid to repeat as NFC East champs. Yeah, that's a huge signing for them uh, in terms of, you know, I watched them last year and no disrespect at all to Will Blackman and, and the career that he's had for himself, but it just seemed like in that that wild card game the Packers were kind of able to exploit him a little bit yep. they got a little thin in that secondary I think that's one of the reasons the Green Bay was able to make that comeback it is interesting though I've never you've been around this a lot longer than I have I can't ever recall another situations like Norman's where the franchise tag was extended it was sitting out there and then revoked yeah and then he goes and signs with another team I can't recall that ever happening yeah, that at least was, recently. Yeah, that was that was a really strange situation. The way and it was that out of nowhere played too. out. Yeah, it, d- it didn't seem like it would be anything acrimonious, and then suddenly it became this big contentious thing. And and less than twenty four hours later, Josh Norman had a new team. So yeah. um, interesting to see how that plays out in the NFC. Well, after the break, we'll focus a little bit more on the NFC North, in particular, looking ahead to twenty sixteen. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, let's focus a little more specifically on the NFC North as we look at 2016. When I look at the Packers' three opponents, I see three major changes that will have an impact on the NFC North race this season. You have Detroit, no longer with Calvin Johnson. Megatron has retired. The Bears will no longer have Matt Forte, a running back the Packers are used to seeing twice a year and has had plenty of productive games against Green Bay. And then Minnesota opening a brand new stadium, and as we know, the Packers opening that stadium as far as the first regular season game in Week 2. So as far as those adjustments, those major changes amongst the Packers' opponents, which one do you think will have the biggest impact on the division race in 2016? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I I would say it's going to probably be Calvin Johnson, uh, just based on the terms of he was a a a once-in-a-generation player. Yeah, Uh, I agree. He was the wide receiver of the 2008 to 2016 time frame. I mean, he was a legit threat any time he stepped on the field. We've talked about it before, Joe Witt kind of quipping a little bit that he's <laughs> no longer going to have as much gray hair as he used to have. Yeah, But he was just, there was no one really like him. And that's no disrespect to Matt Forte. Matt Forte was a, is a terrific running back as well. But Kelvin Johnson was the 1%. He was the cream of the crop. And taking him out of that rivalry now, I'm just really interested to see what the Lions are able to come up with this year. It sounds like they're going to be moving to more of a no-huddle type scheme again. But without him on the field... 
uh, he was he was the difference maker. Yeah, I think this is a huge challenge for Matt Stafford, the veteran quarterback now for the Lions, to not have Calvin Johnson really for the first time in his career yeah. there with Detroit. And right. yeah, they're going to change some things as far as their offensive scheme and whatnot. But taking away a weapon like that, if you think back to the early days of Brett Favre in his career, when he lost Sterling Sharp, Favre actually, in a lot of ways, became a better quarterback because he right. wasn't so focused on that one guy. But that was also very early in Favre's development as well. Taking away Calvin Johnson at this stage of Matthew Stafford's career, I'll be really curious to see just what happens to his play at quarterback and how he leads and conducts that offense going forward. Yeah, I mean, just going through his stats just really quickly, I mean, 731 receptions, over 11 thousand yards <laughs> i mean my goodness being able to yeah. do that in what nine nfl seasons what the averages the production you have to have and he played through a lot as we saw so yeah he did now at the same time to, to your point now we've seen the history will show that the lions can be resurgent they can come back and compete for a division title i think everybody's expecting minnesota to be the one that that is probably the biggest threat right now to green bay sure so them actually starting that first game at u.s bank stadium uh that is also going to be an interesting kind of new curveball to this. Packers are used to playing in domes in, in Minnesota. They did that for a number of years in the Metrodome. Sure. But this is going to be a new wrinkle to this this rivalry. And that is one thing when that day comes around in September, I'm going to be interested to see how that plays out as well. Yeah, I think we're, we're definitely looking forward to that trip and seeing just what uh, that new stadium entails, what kind of atmosphere, environment, <clears throat> excuse me, there will be there. I, I think the uh, this new stadium in Minnesota will will really be interesting the first year because the Vikings had, and I know it's not that they made the playoffs every year or anything, but the Vikings had a really significant home field advantage with that Metrodome and with they that did. noise and teams that came in there, and particularly teams unlike, say, the Packers and Bears who were there every year, but teams that came in there, you know, not every year, not all the time. It was a really tough thing to get used to and, and to play well. And I'm really curious to see if the new U.S. Bank Stadium, you know, has that same sort of annoying, frustrating environment for opponents that the Metrodome did. Yeah, and before, you know, the Seahawks ended up having their whole situation um, with CenturyLink Field and, and the, 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 everyone talks about how loud it is in there. I yeah. mean, the Metrodome was really the the beginning of all that. It was the the horn and the crowd, and you <laughs> know that horn. was one, yeah. <laughs> Although they'll still have that, it's yeah, just going to be at a new capacity. Yeah, they're still going. They're not getting rid of the horn. I just I remember my first time in 2012 going there and and being told, okay, we're out there too. Where there is no the press box wasn't you know window paned off from everybody. Yeah, You're was, in the crowd as well, basically. Yep. Yeah, we were right in the middle of it. And I sure. had I had my headphones on the entire time trying to drown out the sound because, I mean, it was hard to concentrate for me just trying to write a story on deadline, let alone winning a professional football game. So it is, and we've seen there's so many renderings of it. I haven't gotten to read a whole lot of the stuff on, I know it's been really popular, the stories that have been done on on what the stadium is going to be like, but um, it'll be interesting, especially these last two years after being at in at the Gopher Stadium too, where they were outside and you know playing yeah, some kind of a conditions. kind of a smaller, a little more intimate yeah. type setting, you might say. I thought I thought that was interesting how that played out, and and Minnesota certainly ended up playing that 
super cold playoff game yeah. against against Seattle after all those years of their home playoff games being in the Metrodome. That was a nice change of pace, I guess you might say, for the NFC. Absolutely. And the Packers, too, getting back to the Bears now. They're going to have a change of pace with uh, Jeremy Langford now instead of Matt Forte. Matt Forte, a dual-threat guy. As you mentioned, I don't have the exact stats up in front of me, but found a lot of ways to, to hurt Dom Capers' defense over the years. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Langford can do now. And, and Kevin White and him getting added to the equation as well. Yeah, the Bears relying on some changes amongst their offensive weapons. So uh, we'll be back to uh, talk a little bit more about the Packers' schedule after the break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, we touched on that Week 2 game in Minnesota opening up U.S. Bank Stadium for the regular season. That's a part of a, a, a tough double opening, you might say, with Weeks 1 and 2 with Packers going to Jacksonville and then going to Minnesota. A couple other tough stretches of the 2016 schedule. Three consecutive road games in November Tennessee, Washington, and Philadelphia with the latter two against the two NFC East teams, both being in prime time on the road. And then you finish the season with three consecutive division games playing all of your division opponents, Chicago, Minnesota, and Detroit, weeks 15 through 17 of the regular season. So I've been throwing a lot of questions at you today, so I'm going to throw this one at you too. Of those three stretches, weeks one and two, the three road games in November, the three division games to finish up, which do you believe is the most crucial part of the Packers' schedule in 2016? You know what's funny? I'm going to go with option D. Okay. I'm not even going to go with one that you just gave me. All right. Um, as far as treacherous and difficult, I still maintain it's the November stretch. That's brutal. Yeah. And Mike McCarthy's talked about it a lot in terms of this regular season schedule not having a lot of rhythm to it. Right. But for me, I think the most crucial stretch for them is actually going to be after the bye week where you have three home games in the span of about 11, 12 days. Those are critical in terms of you need W's there. And there's there's going to be a lot. I mean, the Giants with Ben McAdoo knows the Packers well. The Cowboys are fixing to be better this year. And the Bears is always a tough game in what will be the the, the – um, Color Rush. Yeah, the Thursday, game night, as well. the so, Thursday night game at Lambeau. That's the one I keep looking at because that's the only extended time that the Packers have at home. To your point, though, the first two openers, first time in 96 years, whatever it is, two back-to-back yeah. road games, you're in Jacksonville, which is going to be hot. We've already talked about what Minnesota will probably be like with them debuting their, their stadium in the regular season. But that November stretch, man, I think that's going to be a difficult one with two primetime games and uh, and against two pretty decent opponents as well. So. Yeah, you raise an interesting point about that October stretch at home because if the Packers are going to find any sort of rhythm and get on any kind of a roll in the regular that's season, where you do that's it. That's where you have to do it. I I totally agree. And as we've talked about before, you can't have a better finish to a schedule than playing all three of your division opponents back-to-back-to-back, two of them on the road at Chicago and at Detroit in weeks 15 and 17, and then that Christmas Eve day game at Lambeau Field against the Vikings in between. You know, we've discussed it many times before. It's hard to see this division being decided by anybody 
before those final weeks of the regular season. Absolutely. And there is a little bit of a reprieve there because once you do get past the Eagles on November 28th, that's where you do have back-to-back home games against the Texans and Seahawks, and then you get into this extended stretch of divisional games. Personally, that's the part of the schedule I really like. I think that it adds another nice little caveat to it because if you go back the last three, four years, that NFC championship, NFC North Championship has come down to that last game of the season. Week 17. And the yeah. Packers have played every team in the division to decide that in those you know consecutive years. So I think it's going to be really exciting. You have some noon start times if they happen to stay there. Obviously, we'll see. But it is. It's that's That's what the NFL is all about. That's what the regular season is all about. You got to win your division to get in the playoffs, and you have to win as many of those other games as possible to get a better seed. And at that point, once the they get to that Bears game on December eighteenth, I think the Packers will have a good idea of where they're at. Now it's just going to be a matter if they can finish it out. Yeah, and you you look at maybe a couple of spots that the schedule tilts in Green Bay's favor. You might say the, those first two games in December, you have the Houston Texans coming in. That's a Southern warm weather team coming up to Green Bay in early December, so right. it could be kind of cold in a tough environment. And then Seattle the following week, obviously a big rivalry there, and Seattle one of the top teams in the NFC. But again, Seattle Seattle doesn't win the super cold playoff game in Minnesota without the missed 27-yard field goal. That was not Seattle's best performance in those kinds of conditions. So you wonder if they're coming in and it's cold at Lambeau Field, how they'll respond in that environment. It is interesting. I remember originally when this happened, I was hoping there'd be a Jacksonville game in December. But now the way the schedule (laughs) lines up, a lot of cold football games will be played between Green Bay, Chicago, uh, the Packers are going to have to put their long sleeve sweaters on those for those games. Yeah, sounds good. Well, a long time until then, but something to look forward to. Definitely. So uh, we got one more segment to go, Wes. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, I've been throwing questions at you the entire show, so I'm going to throw another one at you. At the, uh, at the time that we're taping this episode, there are two training camp practices left in uh, the 2016 training camp for the Packers. So to this point, do you have a favorite moment in training camp. Oh, wow. Favorite moment during training camp. This is unscripted. So you're just <laughs> throwing is. all these curveballs at me. It's Tim Wakefield, and I'm just swinging at all the knuckleballs here. All right. Um, I'll go with the night practices. I, that was probably my favorite moment, the return of the night practices. And I understand a lot of players don't necessarily like them. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Rodgers said he is he does enjoy them. But there is just something special to me about it only happens so many times a year and you know the 2000 however many people show up for those those practices it just i i just always have really positive memories of those and it just there's something just very tranquil about it the weather's usually a little bit cooler at that time of night the sun's going down starts sunny ends you know at night yeah there's an atmosphere to those workouts yeah. that that you can't you can't have whether if it's a 9am or a noon or whatever there's something about being in a nice summer evening in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and there's football going on for people to watch. Yeah, and, and I mean, there were, some, there were some fun moments, too, you know, when you go back to those those practices and, and the way that they played during this whole training camp, you know, Aaron Rodgers, and, and when he was out there leading the offense, I mean, there, there was a lot of memories that I think um, that I think can be had out of that. I know 
you even mentioned it a little bit earlier too. I mean, some of these performances that we saw from these receivers and tight ends really, yeah. really stood out. Yeah, and that was what I was going to say is my favorite moment. I believe it was actually the last of the night practices. It was, was, was right. the first yep. practice that uh, we saw Jared Cook, uh, the new tight end, free agent acquisition in the offseason. He came off PUP from the foot surgery in the offseason, and he lit the place up. I mean, he and Aaron Rodgers looked like they'd been a quarterback-tight end combination for the last five or six years, and it was the first training camp practice for Cook. His real, Really, his introduction to the Packers fans who came there to watch that night I don't know how many touchdowns he had in the red zone work. It was a red zone and goal line yeah. kind of night, but uh, uh, that's what the Packers were working on. But, boy, I, there had to have been at least four or five touchdowns just to him alone on all sorts of different plays. It was really an impressive and, for me, a memorable practice in terms of a guy introducing himself to his new team and his new fan base. Yeah, and it was definitely a positive first impression that you want to set if you're Cook because the two biggest question marks, what were they when he came to Green Bay? One, he didn't have a touchdown catch last year. And two, <laughs> people had questions about his hands. On that particular night, caught everything that was thrown his direction yeah. and was a legitimate threat inside the red zone. It was really a precursor to, I think, the excitement that everybody's feeling right now about what he can do with his body type and athleticism in this offense. Yeah. And we've got a little taste of it so far with Brett Hundley and Joe Callahan working with him, but now actually going into the regular season with Aaron Rodgers, it's a different ballgame. Yeah, for sure. And I'd be remiss as far as reviewing this training camp if I didn't say on a personal note how nice it was, how uh, how special it was to be in Canton, Ohio for oh, the totally. gold jacket ceremony for the Brett Favre's Hall of Fame induction and that tremendous speech. That's certainly a memory from the 2016 training camp I'll take with me. I'm not sure how long we'll remember the canceled Hall of Fame yeah, game, but right. uh, you know that's a story for another day. So we'll, uh, we'll call that a wrap on Packers Unscripted for now. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com on Twitter. He's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for watching, everybody, and we'll see you next time.